0: Oh yes, we are live on another episode of Five Rounds here on the Five Reasons Sports Network in the aftermath of, I wasn't shocked by who won, even though I picked the other guy, but I was very shocked by the method of victory. That was the last thing I thought would happen in that fight in Francis Ngannou's decision victory over Surreal Ghan. We're going to talk a lot about that, plus... A lightweight title fight has been made official for May, and we've got an awesome guest who's going to join us on this episode, Brendan Tobin from 790 The Ticket Fame. He is going to join guy. Us. Love that guy. He's a great dude. He is a yeah. great dude. Uh, before before we get dive headfirst in everything, let me remind you guys that every episode of Five Rounds is brought to you by our official sports bar, the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. I hope you took advantage of the quarterdeck this past weekend because if you stayed home to watch UFC 270, ESPN Plus was charging you $75. If you went to the quarterdeck, they were charging you zero cover, no cover charge. And if you missed out on it, keep it in mind, every UFC pay-per-view you can get at the quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill for zero coverage. Guys, it's a no-brainer. These things keep getting more and more expensive for the home consumer While it's still free, no cover at the quarterdeck. And while you're out there, of course, enjoy the delicious food. The seafood is so fresh. I love the buffalo shrimp. That's my favorite appetizer. I love the fresh sushi. I build my own poke bowl there at the quarterdeck. The sandwiches and burgers are awesome. And yeah, it's a great place to wet your whistle. Two-for-one happy hour all day, every day. The two-for-one drinks literally never end. The beer is always ice cold. It's not just a great place to watch a UFC pay-per-view. It's also a great place to watch the conference championship games this weekend. Sunday is going to be lit at every quarterdeck location, guys. AFC and NFC championship games. Watch it on all the flat screen, high def TVs covering every wall. If you want to find the location nearest to you and also check out their menu before you go, every time I look at the quarterdeck menu, basically it just makes me want to hop right in the car and get down there because there are so many great things. There are even certain menu items I have not tried yet, and I find myself sometimes – trying something for the first time. Like a few months back, back in November, we had a watch party at the Quarterdeck and I tried the teriyaki wings for the first time and they were delicious. I've gotten them a second time since then. There's always something to try out at the Quarterdeck. Quarterdeckrestaurants.com. Come for the food, stay for the fun. Hello uh, to to our pals in the live chat. Alex M is in. He says $100 pay-per-view coming soon. Let me introduce my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend. Now, we are down one co-host today. James Walker could not make it tonight. I think he's doing some work travel, so he's going to be back with us last week. Who? He misses out on his victory. I mean, Frank Zaffrey. <laughs> James Walker, he misses out on his victory lap because Frank and James both picked Cyril Ghan. I was all in with Francis and no, Ganu. We hmm. picked Ganu. You picked Cyril Ghan. Oh, my bad. Yeah, I, I picked. I Why see I'm, I'm already trying to straight. change. Yeah. I'm always trying to change my pick. Yeah, I picked Cyril Ghan. You guys both pick Francis and Ganu, so Frank, you have a chance to take your victory lap. James is missing out on his. Yeah, I
1: was disappointed they wouldn't be here for that, but uh, you know these are the kind of shows I look forward to because I don't best you very often, except when we bet. Yeah, and uh, typically you don't pay off, but you had enough, you had a bet with James Walker, right? Not with me. You had a bet with James. Uh,
0: Yeah, he suggested to me. So uh, it's a karaoke bet. And I I can give you a few bars tonight if you want. uh, But there there are a couple reasons why I I, I don't want to welch on this one. Because I love to sing. I got classically trained vocalists. So I I love to sing. I'm perfectly happy performing karaoke. But A, I do want James to be here. Because the bet was with James. So shouldn't I pay it off in front of James? The other thing was I told James he can suggest the song that I sing, and I'm not loving it. I mean, he suggested uh, California Love, Tupac featuring Dre, but I mean, it's it's mostly rap, and nobody wants to hear me rap. They want to hear me sing, okay? Nobody nobody wants to hear rappers rap live. (laughs) I certainly (laughs) don't want to hear you, but listen. I know
1: James isn't here to, you know, to endorse what I'm about to say, but I feel like I can pull this off. Mm -hmm. I'll let you get out of the whole karaoke thing. No, I want to do it. For a dinner in Palmetto, an Italian dinner in Palmetto Bay with the Dono's.
0: I can do both because A, the, (laughs) see, he he says perfect, but like, do do you want me to give you a few bars? Like, do you want to? Dude, you want to see what I can do here? I mean, you've been teasing it. It feels like you want to do it, so go ahead. Hold on, hold on. I mean, I don't really, especially because I wanted to start out.
1: What's that noise?
0: Can you hear that? It's, It's the song. Can you hear the track?
1: Yeah, but I also hear like a weird beeping noise.
0: Oh, that's weird. I don't know. California knows how to party. California knows how to party. In the city of L.A. See, you don't even want to hear any more of that. I I could see you cringing over there. No, I'm not cringing. cringing. It was actually better than I expected. (laughs) But the
1: refrain's going to be all you because, (laughs) you know, that's where your classically trained vocals can shine. But right after that refrain ends, I don't want to hear that part. No,
0: nobody wants to. Yeah, Yeah, you're right about that. You're right about that. Let's talk about the fight. So UFC 270. It saw uh, a a heavyweight title defended. Francis Ngannou actually took a five round decision against Surreal Um, uh, My first takeaway on this, Frank, is last week I already had zero interest in watching Francis Ngannou box Tyson Fury. A week later, I have less than zero interest in watching Francis Ngannou box Tyson Fury. Uh, Francis had to go into his bag of tricks to win this one. You know, he was down. Not It wasn't significant dominance, but he was clearly down on points after the first two rounds where Cyril Gunn was doing what I thought he could do for five rounds, okay? And by the way, I noticed the viewer count dropped when I started singing. <laughs> so I, I, I apologize for that. But no, first two rounds, Francis Ngannou uh, was getting – Picked apart. I mean, Cyril Gan was methodically landing some punches, circling, keeping distance, and outstriking him for the first two rounds. Third round on something I was not expecting. Francis Ngannou became George St. Pierre from rounds three on, three, four, and five. Right. I mean, he he talked about working on his wrestling. No kidding. I mean, he absolutely was working on his wrestling. Uh, and by the way, Cyril Gan, uh not an offensive wrestler. But a very successful defensive wrestler had never been taken down in a fight before this past Saturday against Francis Ngannou. Had never been taken down before. Had a perfect takedown defense. And Francis Ngannou, Frank, and, and we could talk more about just the strength and the power, I mean, slammed him over his head at one point. Uh, it, it was It was impressive. It was versatile. That's what mixed martial arts is all about, not just using one weapon, using multiple disciplines. At the same time, though, can I urinate on the parade a little bit with Francis Ngannou? I mean, you're you're talking about a guy who is billed as and came in as the most feared striker in MMA heavyweight history. And he had to become a wrestler to beat a guy who was out striking him in the fight. So it's like it makes me feel really good about Francis as a mixed martial artist because he's got so many more tools in the shed than I thought he had. But it also kind of makes me take a step back on Francis as a striker and say maybe this guy really is, uh, you know, he, he's a guy with anvils for fists, but isn't, uh, isn't that great of a striker? He's a great puncher, not a great striker. Francis is great at bringing uh, those anvils
1: to bear when you bring the fight to him. And mm-hmm. I thought what we saw Saturday night, Was a beautiful exhibition of IQ evolution in MMA. Something we don't see all the time, right? Where it's like a few things they worked on in camp, obviously, and he's been working on. One, Surreal Gone, never gonna expect that Ngannou's going to wrestle. So that's just gamesmanship. Kudos to you. Belichick does that, and you don't put an asterisk on it. You right. say he's a brilliant coach. Ngannou right. did a brilliant – and his coaches did a brilliant job catching Gon in something he would never expect. But but also, from a just evaluatory standpoint, you know the way Gon moves in and out, fast. I equate him to Sugar Ray Leonard versus like, say, a Marvin Hagler. I know I just dated myself. Mm -hmm. God's not going to knock out Ngannou, and he didn't have any intention of doing so. He had intention of winning every round and staying out of harm's way. And Ngannou, again, evolution of IQ, knew if I chase this guy with the anvils, I'm going to look foolish trying to get this guy cornered. So, the wrestling was the perfect antidote. Some things that we didn't know, Alex, number one, well, we know this, but number one, you know, we didn't know that he had been working on wrestling, but what we do know is that wrestling takes a tremendous amount of cardio to execute, to defend. It's a good point. And particularly in my, in my personal opinion, as someone who did wrestle, it takes a tremendous amount of cardio to put the pressure to put the offense on somebody yeah so not only did we know did not know that he could wrestle but we did not appreciate the degree with which he has been moving forward his cardiovascular integrity for a five round fight because if you're gonna decide starting in round three that you're wrestling, you're probably not going to finish God. So you're looking for ground. You're looking for takedowns. You're looking for ground control. You've just committed yourself to a five-round fight of enormous physical toll. And, uh, man, he answered the call all the way around. The last thing that we didn't know was that, first of all, surreal God's huge. Mm -hmm. What I didn't realize is just how strong Nganu is not just because he's a big guy, but strong for his size. Because against a very similarly sized and muscular guy, Ngannou was able to throw him over his head. Ngannou was was able to continuously take him down and control him. And the strength that Ngannou exhibited, the overall body strength, because, you know, it's one thing to be a muscular guy who throws punches. It's quite another thing to be a muscular guy who wants to wrestle think yuel romero when you're thinking that kind of muscular you know acumen you know and ganu has iq evolved into a complete yeah. mixed martial artist and that's what we saw so i'm gonna say bullshit on your asterisk we're talking <laughs> about a one-dimensional more one-dimensional fighter he's spectacularly good at what he does surreal gone oh yeah Versus a guy now our champion Who's very well rounded? The anvils won't land. I'll wrestle you. You know, I was supremely impressed with what I saw. Probably more impressed than if he had caught Gon with a punch. Yeah. Because I think if he catches Gon with a punch, we think, ah, you know, he That's caught him. We yeah. should do this again. Yeah. But this was this was a very thorough, uh, I thought, controlling method of dominating a fight by Ingun.
0: I think he hit the nail on the head especially with the cardio part, right? Because uh, heading into this one, we really questioned Nganu's cardio, right? Because we, you know, we've seen him uh, in five round fights before. Uh, but usually anytime time gets past the second round, things get really bad for him cardio-wise. You know, the first fight with Stipe got completely manhandled. You know, the the loss that he had, which was a, a five-round fight against Derek Lewis, was incredibly boring. There wasn't a lot of activity. So, you know, the sample size with Ngannou usually was if he's going to win a fight, he's going to win a fight very quickly and if it goes into the later rounds, he's going to fade because he is carrying so much muscle. And how can a guy with that much muscle have cardio? That's what Dr. Joe Rogan always tells me, right? I mean, you need a lot of oxygen to get to all those muscles, he would say. So, you know, he so he's big
1: lungs because he must have oxygenated. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and another part of it that we hadn't even brought up yet is, you know, we come to find out after the fight, he had a pretty significant injury before the fight with his knee. He's uh, set to undergo surgery for a damaged MCL and ACL. I don't think the ACL is fully torn. But I may be wrong on that, but either way, it's a nine to tenth month nine to ten month recovery. And that was an injury on the knee that he didn't suffer it in the fight. He carried it with him into the fight, which Frank, it adds another element is not only are you fighting with a damaged knee, I've got to think that affects your preparation. I've got to think that the quality and the quantity of your training, if you're carrying a significant knee injury and kudos to him for not pulling out of the fight. And I'm sure he's glad he didn't because he performed very well in it. So kudos to him for staying in the fight. And, you know, not making any excuses for the performance, not that he needed to because he won the fight. But, uh, you know, he carried an injury in and I would imagine, Frank, it's very hard because we know how hard MMA fighters train, right? Because you're training in so many different disciplines. It really is an all day grind. It's different. Like, I'm not saying boxers don't train hard and kickboxers, but. MMA training is just a unique beast because you're training everything from boxing to kickboxing to jujitsu to wrestling and any other discipline you want to throw in there. There's so many things that go into it. How hard is it to get through a camp with uh, with an injured knee, right? So that was really impressive stuff by Ngannou to perform the way that he did through that injury.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was it was awe inspiring. But then you just need to read the story. I thought the ESPN uh, story on him. That posted about three days before the fight kind of kind of explains like, you know, if you can walk through the Sahara, deal with incarceration in numerous countries as you fight your way through Morocco to the coast to get on a raft where you can't swim, but get yourself as far out into the ocean as you can. So you get picked up by a uh, red cross boat and not the Moroccan Coast Guard and then get thrown in a Spanish prison where while they're going to end up giving you amnesty. For a while, they're going to try to com- try to beat you into admitting you're a terrorist. Mm-hmm. If you can do those things, take 50 euros, make your way to France, and then start training in the same goddamn shoes you were wearing in uh, Cameroon before you left, you can deal with a leg injury. Yeah. He's another level of tough, is yeah. I guess what I'm yeah. trying to say. So I'm not surprised.
0: Well, and, you know, we have to get into a conversation. We can both agree. I, I know I, I urinated on the parade a little bit, but we can both agree that was a really impressive performance. And you've just taken a guy who was the scariest knockout artist in the division. And now all of a sudden he can also wrestle. And I thought this was well put by Alex M. He says, now Francis can fake the takedowns and land a shot if they ever rematch. And that's a good if- segue because that's an if. Bro, go, go ahead. Finish your thought. Well, no, I was just going to add to what he just said.
1: I mean, the next thing he needs to work on are submissions, you know, because, you know, he adds one or two of those, and now his wrestling top game is uh, even more lethal. So, yeah, he's – but look, Alex, you know, you and I were talking about it before the show, and you alluded to it in your opening comments. You know, look, the whole Tyson Fury thing, like, Engano did an amazing job but he can't deal with surreal Gun striking. If there is anyone in MMA that can shut down or divert his game from striking to wrestling, he should stay the hell away from the actual boxing studs that are out there willing to fight him. When Conor McGregor did it, while we knew he was going to be outclassed because they are in fact different sports he was the best striker in his division and arguably the best striker in MMA at the time. So it wasn't like you took a middle-of-the-road striker and then said, oh, okay, I'm going to be a boxer now. Right. But Engano is not, as we learned Saturday, not the best stri- striker in the heavyweight division. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And also, and obviously like power, power certainly translates to a certain extent. He's got a lot of it, but power is more prevalent in MMA when you're wearing four ounce gloves versus 10 ounce gloves. So he doesn't even carry all of the power with him to the other sport. Um, I do, I do sympathize with Nganu to a certain extent, because first of all, um, and I've seen a lot of his arguments for why he wants more freedom. Like if he wants to re-sign with the UFC, um, you know, he, he, he would like the UFC to allow him the way they allowed Conor McGregor to, you know, take a boxing fighter too. And I, I sympathize with him for a couple of reasons. I mean, he cited being an independent contractor, which is technically what UFC fighters are, although not really because Dana, the contracts are very strict and Dana typically does not let fighters the way he let Conor McGregor do other things while they're under contract. But he, you know, he wants to be an independent contractor and also, the part of it, and, and you did an excellent job kind of summing up Enganu's journey, right, to find his way uh, from, from Cameroon to Paris. When Enganu arrived in France and he started training, when he found Fernand Lopez, who was his you know, original coach, his dream was not to be UFC heavyweight champion. His dream was to be a boxing heavyweight champion. That was what he envisioned for himself. He <laughs> kind of stumbled into MMA and it was it was coach Lopez who's the one who realized, no no no, you'd be a lot better at MMA. Like this this is what you need to focus on. But Ngannou's original dream was, you know, to be the Mike Tyson of his generation. So, I'm sure he's kept that dream alive and now that he's seen himself, you know, ascend to the top of uh, of the UFC in his weight class and become one of the bigger stars in mixed martial arts, and he's thinking, you know, now I've, I've built this fame for myself. If I do go and box Tyson Fury, if I'm contractually allowed to, win, lose, or draw, and am he's a confident guy, he probably thinks he can beat him. I don't. You don't. He probably thinks he can beat Tyson Fury because that's the sort of mental makeup that professional fighters have, but he's thinking, win, lose, or draw, I can make a lot more money doing that then I can make stepping into the octagon. So I deserve this opportunity to do it. So I sympathize with the fact that this is probably a lifelong dream of his. Before he ever thought about fighting in the octagon, he wanted to fight in the ring and be a boxing champion. He now wants to pursue that dream. Um, I have to wonder where things go from here, Frank, because he did win his fight against Cyril Ghosn, which means the UFC can now invoke the champion's clause. However... There's a timetable on that, okay? Uh, he is contractually obligated to fight again in the octagon, but that is going to expire in one year. He's about to have knee surgery in March, which is going to keep him out. Nine, and that's out of training, by the way, not even out of fighting. So the, in, the entire moratorium period or whatever you call it is going to be taken up by his surgery and recovery. So by the time Francis Ngannou is healthy enough to train, if he doesn't strike a new deal with Dana White, he's going to be out of contract and a free agent. So do you think he ever steps into the octagon again? Because I seriously have my doubts about it. Like early on in this negotiation, I kind of thought, hey, Francis is playing hardball," you know, because originally when this whole negotiation came up, it was when they were talking about him fighting John Jones, right? And he wanted a lot more money to fight John Jones than he's contractually paid. And I could understand that. But then it went beyond John Jones. He just wants more money to fight in the octagon, period. And like he did say this week on the MMA Hour, it's not all about money. It's also about freedom. He wants to be allowed while under UFC contract to take fights outside of the UFC, like boxing. Uh, There's very little precedent for that from the UFC. They've only bent those rules for one guy. Will they bend them again? Frank, have we seen Francis Ngannou in the octagon for the final time?
1: No, I, I, we haven't, and and I remain optimistic that the the feelings I have about Engano's enormous marketability, and while Kevin Ioli last week disagreed with me slightly about this, I feel like there's going to be a lot of pressure from ESPN. Like this is this is a great guy, you know. ESPN's not just about sports; people want to watch. They're about stories people want to read about. Right. This guy has both. You know, this guy's the total package. So. I think he's going to end up back there. And I think if, if, I, if Dana White said, hey, called me up, which would never happen, and said, Frank, how do we handle this? I'd say, look, Francis is 35 years old. He's literally on the downside of his career, particularly if he's going to fight the way he fought Saturday, where he's mm-hmm. going to be wrestling, et cetera. So <clears throat> there's a fight with John Jones that should probably happen and could probably happen. Late this year. I know Jones wants it. He's tweeting about it. After what I saw against Surreal gone, there's nobody in the heavyweight division that can get close to Francis and besides maybe John Jones. I'm telling John, I'm telling Ngannou, if I'm Dana White, look, I'm going to do a new deal with you. The pay-per-view buys were off the charts. You're worth the money. I would like you to do X, Y, and Z for me for the league, but we're going to give you X, and you're going to fight John Jones and forget about boxing right now. <laughs> and then, if you beat John Jones, I need one or two more fights from you. And then, no matter how long your contract is, I'll let you go fight a boxer because you already know you've got the sunset looming. Right. And you know you have Surreal Gone in your stable, ready to be the next dominant, marketable, insurmountable heavyweight champ. They're in a fantastic position, honestly. And look, if John Jones gets them, well, then, you know, they could write that into the deal. If John Jones gets you, you know, we'll let you go early. But if you beat John Jones, we need one or two more from you. At that point, you're 37, 38. You're the most feared man in mixed martial arts. Your marketability could never be higher. Just remember, you know, you hold on to that stock. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You win a couple more, you're worth that much more to Anthony Joshua or Tyson Fury or whomever. And then, you know what? You want to go out and do that, go ahead and do it. I think there's a deal to be made. Concessions have to be made. But the UFC has to appreciate the obvious. And Kevin and I only laughed at me last week when I said this. But we haven't seen the kind of market sensationalism That a truly dominant heavyweight champion will deliver for the UFC. Yeah, Conor McGregor won't measure up to that. I promise you that.
0: (coughs) Excuse me. You know, uh, people were making a big deal this past Saturday. I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. So Francis Ngannou wins the fight. We know, we all know about the contract dispute between Dana White slash the UFC and Ngannou. And so after Francis gets his hand raised it wasn't Dana white that put the belt around his waist, which is the customary thing, right? It's customary. It's been, been like this since, since Dana white was UFC president back when you know, the frititas were around, it's been that tradition for like 15 years. Somebody wins a championship. Dana white is there in the octagon in person, putting the belt, whether you win it or defend it, he's the one putting the belt around your waist. Dana white was suspiciously uh, conspicuously absent from that. Um, Neither of us, we were talking about this before the show, neither of us actually noticed that when we were watching it live. I i didn't even, like, I, I know it's a tradition, but it I, I didn't notice it until, you know, I'm sure people were tweeting about it immediately after. I was back on Twitter the next day, and people were like, hey, oh, Dana White wasn't there. That was Dana White's silent protest. He hates Francis, didn't put the belt around his waist. I think that's kind of ridiculous for a couple of reasons. <coughs> Dana White, he's such a straight shooter. Um, that he's not the passive, I mean, maybe a combination of things, but the one form of protest Dana White would choose would not just be passive aggressive only. He's the type of guy who tells you whatever's on his mind, right? If Dana White really wanted to stick it to Francis Nganu, there are other ways for him to do that. He could have gotten up at the post fight conference and just taken a shit all over this guy. Like he's done that before too many fighters. He could complain publicly. He's actually been somewhat complimentary of Nganu in interviews. We talked about Nganu's game plan with the wrestling. Dana White referred to it as genius. Like, he's been complimentary of Francis Nganu. It seems strange to me that someone who is as upfront and as much of a straight shooter as Dana White is would choose his form of silent protest to be passive-aggressive, like not putting the belt around his waist. You know, Dana explained it after the fact. He said that, Hey, I, you know, uh, he he had to deal with stuff, right? Like, and if if you've ever been near Dana or even observed him on television, the phone is always ringing. He's constantly got managers and agents and promoters, you know, ringing him up and problems happen every day in his line of work. So he was dealing with something in the back. Am I naive for taking that at face value that I think, hey, if Dana White was dealing with some stuff, he probably was dealing with some stuff. I'm going to take him at his word on that. What do you think? I don't. I don't think
1: that Dana White would avoid the belt ceremony. Um, it just—it's not in his character. He's a confrontational guy. He—he yeah. he wants to be right in everybody's face. I agree with you on that. But I also understand people's suspicions because it's a really big effing deal. It was the main event. It's the heavyweight division. It—you know—crushed the gate sales it absolutely and I'm sure crushed pay-per-view numbers. And, you know, Dana White is, despite, you know, arguments that I hear from time to time, the biggest star in the UFC. When you So when you have all these eyes on your sport, you can't run over there and do that. I mean, what the hell was going on backstage that would preclude you from, you know. The thing is, like,
0: even if he did do it on purpose, who cares? Like, it's... I mean, to me, it's such an insignificant act. Let, let, let me ask our, our guest about this. We we have the privilege of being joined by uh, the by, man. Uh, by the
1: way, I got to cut you off. Alex Sam needs to be on the show, too. Hey, Brendan. Sorry, go ahead. Hey. The
0: inter- Brendan, introduction. Brendan Tobin, 790 The Ticket. How you been, sir? <laughs> What's up, man? It's good to be uh, on. I'm sure you- oh, man, it, it's great to have you. Uh, I'm sure you caught some of these conspiracies. So after, after Francis Ngannou retains the belt, Uh, Dana White didn't show up in the octagon to put the belt around his waist I I didn't think anything of it and like I don't know people are calling me stupid and naive you know Dana a couple days afterwards said like I was dealing with stuff right and I I know I know Dana's phone is always blowing up he's always putting out fires and he's such a straight shooter Brendan that if Dana White has a problem with somebody he's gonna find a, a far less passive aggressive way to take out his anger so I didn't think the the whole championship belt thing was that significant. Frank seems to think there was something to it. Alex M. seems to think there's something to it. Do you think Dana White intentionally avoided personally putting the belt around Francis's waist because of the contract dispute?
2: Hey, man, let me just tell you something. You're adorable. <laughs> <laughs> You're so sweet. I mean, that's so nice for you to believe Dana White on that. Of course was- <laughs> Listen. I agree. I agree. Dana White is very much a, you know, we'll, we'll shoot from the hip and give some good material and give quotes, but he's also, I mean, if anything, if we have heard anything about the battles with Oscar de la Hoya and Bob Aram, I mean, he is team petty to the core. And so, yeah, I believe a hundred percent it was sending a message that he didn't want because look, those are, those are questions. I don't know if he has the answers to this is stuff that is, is kind of all up in the air with uh with francis's future and and you know i think they probably knew that after this francis was going to go under the knife and is going to be maybe out until the end of the year when his contract expires anyway i don't think they want to answer questions like that and so yeah i think that i think it was i'm I'm more interested in the fact that he didn't speak afterwards as Hmm. to him not putting on the belts because you're right like he is gonna get pepper with questions and it's rare that he's I don't know if not going to tell the truth, but he's not going to tell. He he rarely holds back from telling his truth. And I think probably the best thing he could have done was to not speak from his standpoint, because it'll probably end up with him blasting either Francis Ghanu's management or blasting Francis Ghanu himself. So that was a, that was very fascinating. But yeah, I 100 percent believe it was a petty move on his part.
1: But, but Brendan, can't you know, can't he do two different things? I mean, can't he can't he miss the Q&A? Cause you're right, he's gonna get asked a lot of difficult questions, but he's also the biggest star in the sport still, in my opinion. You gotta be there to put the belt on the guy. You gotta be there for that.
0: He's dealing with stuff in the back. He's putting out fires, Frank. Come on. What stuff is he dealing with in the back?
2: Yeah, what is he what could possibly be going on? in the back and it's kicking out he's kicking out journalists yeah yeah possibly like what could possibly be going on in the back to where he had he do you know how many people dana white could probably go handle it for him like what was going on was like espn plus crashing what possibly could have been going on in that moment where he can't be there for his main event and i i mean like this is the thing that's frustrating about it is that you know the UFC, we—I feel like we've been doing this thing. You, you do these topics. I do these topics of like, oh, who's gonna be the guy who replaces Conor McGregor? Who's gonna be the next star? Yeah. And the first time around, it felt like it was so obvious that they wanted Francis Ngannou to be that guy. Yes. And now all of a sudden, it's just like, ah, we're done with them, which is crazy. Like it, it was such a whiff from the standpoint of Francis's, you know, handling of him. John Jones not being there. Dana White not like nobody is treating this guy like a big deal, and it's like. Could you want him to go to boxing anymore? Like, could you want right. to lure him over, you know, push him and kick him to another sport anymore? Maybe they don't care because they feel like their their whole wheel can go on. But I got to tell you, the heavyweight division would, would be a, a lot less interesting without him.
1: Brendan, I keep arguing that Francis Ngannou could be the biggest star the UFC's ever had if they embraced it. Because when I when I think about the stars, the transcendent stars that MMA has had, I go to Conor McGregor and I know this is you know, I know, unfortunately, this is this is a, a racist thing, but there was a long standing attitude in boxing searching for the next Rocky Marciano, searching for the great white hope. It's not an accident that Conor McGregor became that person. In this instance, in MMA versus Brazilians, etc., also. But that 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 came over from boxing. Francis Ngannou brings that Mike Tyson-esque, holy shit, I can't wait to see this kind of feeling. Yeah. And I can't for the life of me, and I know you just – expounded on not understanding it but i mean i just i can't let it go like what the hell is wrong with this guy his backstory is you know you could write books about it and they would be bestsellers he couldn't be a nicer person he's the marketing machine you can you know endorsers want to be a part of him and he wins and he wins in ways in which fans want to watch so what the hell is the issue because they pay I, Conor I, I think McGregor? That's the issue. i amounts of money.
0: You see, you see that comment? I think I think Alex M. is right. It's it's basically a pissing contest, right? Yeah. You know, D- Dana Conor McGregor liked-
1: challenged Dana White constantly.
0: And he still gets paid. A lot of that, I think, was shtick, though. Like, I, I think, I think a lot of that with Connor, because I, I know that there was a lot of shtick between him and Floyd. It was like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna say the nastiest things about you on on stage, and then they're riding private jets together, probably you know, shooting the shit. Like, I I I think with Francis and Dana, like, it's actually personal, and Dana does not like when people challenge him. You know
1: what would be great, guys, if his if Inganu's best buddy. Kamaru Usman, who Dana White just said is one of the top three fighters that he's ever had, which surprised me. If if he if Kamaru Usman says, you know what, I'm not fighting anymore either. You're mistreating my friend. If they could start to coalesce a little bit, that so would be you're, really. So you're cool saying they see. should unionize? Is basically not, what you're well, saying? Well, they'll, 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 they'll never. They'll never happen. pull that off. It's so, yeah, but, and it's also but two tough Two champions holding the league hostage would yeah. really
2: suck. It's it's also a tough thing for Kamara. Like you know, he's got this this window, but he's also like he's he knows like he's flirted with the whole oh I wish I could fight Canal thing. But the thing that's funny about Kamara is he was also in that doghouse with Dana like back in the day. Right. And it's that's so true. funny how this stuff can flip. Like yeah. Dana was drooling over Francis to be his biggest star, and now you know can't even go and celebrate him winning a championship. And Kamara was – I was ripping him for giving only 30% of the cage. What the hell does that mean? And now he's fawning over him thinking this could be my next great goat. It's just – I think that's got to be very frustrating as a fighter because you never know when the guy's going to be in your corner. Yeah, if if you're in the good graces, it feels like, yeah, he'll put the rocket to your back and you'll be the biggest thing ever. But if you do double-cross him or you don't do something to his liking – it can be a disaster for you and i think that's the the frustrating thing is the fighters is yeah the money thing's an obvious thing it's it's frustrating to look at boxing and see you know they're throwing around m- numbers this week at anthony joshua 20 million dollars just to not fight wow and like that's that's i mean <laughs> i'm sure if your friends got that has to blow your mind yeah. but i think he the,
0: made 600k for the for the fight this past weekend right
2: <laughs> and, and, and so i think that's very frustrating and then i think also it's just like man the, the guy that i work for is just like it's such a seesaw like could you not not only like I don't feel like I'm getting paid my worth, but also like you never know when it feels like your career is gonna be taken care of or when they're just gonna try and have you loose.
0: Now, I said this uh, to Frank at the start of the show, and I also I, I saw Brendan yesterday at the Eagle FC presser, and I said the same thing to you. So before this fight, and listen, i I, I obviously very impressed with Ngannou because I didn't think he could ever win a decision, right, especially not against a tough guy like Ghan, and to employ his wrestling the way they did. So that was very impressive. But from like a boxing standpoint, prior to that fight, I had zero interest in ever wanting to watch Francis Ngannou box Tyson Fury. Now coming out of the fight, I have less than zero interest in wanting to watch Ngannou box Tyson Fury. We can probably agree that's a fight and Ngannou uh, would not win in the boxing ring. Uh, my guy Alex M. has been asking this. He wants your opinion. He says, ask Brendan, would Francis beat Andy Ruiz in a boxing match? How do you think that would go down?
2: I think it would go very poorly for Francis Ngannou. I I agree. Like- He's, you know, Andy Ruiz is as much as he looks, uh you know, doughy and yeah, he, you know, it, but he still even even him not training, you know, to his fullest and partying his ass off yeah. couldn't get put away by Anthony Joshua. Joshua couldn't finish him. He finished Anthony Joshua, you know, when he was in his peak condition. And Anthony Joshua was a lot bigger than Francis Ngannou. I mean, people don't realize this is that you look at these guys, these heavyweights, like. Tyson Fury is a lot bigger than Francis Ngannou. It's like a, it's,
0: eight, that guy. Yeah, yeah.
2: so I, I, it's a tough, it's a tough one. Like I'll definitely tune in. Don't get me wrong; they'll yeah. get my hundred bucks, or whatever it costs that night. But yeah, I think you're right. We're in for an ugly night. It's not going to yeah. be that interesting. And on the other side of it, like as UFC fans, how long have we been waiting for John Jones for a couple things? Not only to go to heavyweight. But for John to take on somebody with freakish one-punch knockout power, we were watching, you know, waiting. Oh, will we ever get him versus Rumble Johnson? Okay, now we're going to get it at, like, an even crazier level. <laughs> and I think also, it, to, to what Frank was saying about him winning, like, I think what Francis earned a lot from this, this, not only this past fight, but also just his bounce back is he earned a lot of respect from mixed martial arts fans because – a lot of people probably saw what happened to him with Stipe thought exposed. He's a one punch freak guy. That's all he's got. And then the way he, that he looked against Derek Lewis to be like, all right, mentally shook. And the way that he bounced back and did it against guys like Kane Velasquez and K- Curtis blades guys, you would think, you know, would be nightmarish massive for him, dusted him. And then okay. this time, another guy knows him well, light on his feet, going to play the cardio game with him, And he found a way to win. How do you not respect that?
0: You know, real quick, I got to ask Brennan something. I I want your opinion on this. And sorry to cut you off, Frank. But, like, okay, it sounds to me like Nganu, not only does he want to be paid better, which I think he deserves, like, he deserves a lot more than 600K to step in there and defend his belt. But it seems to me like the even bigger issue he has, bigger than the money itself, is. He wants the freedom to be able to, while under UFC contract, to be able to box. It's a lifelong dream of his. When he arrived in Paris and started training, before he ever thought about wanting to be an MMA champion, he wanted to be a boxing champion. That's his dream. He now thinks he's in a position where he can pursue that dream when somebody like Tyson Fury is calling him out. So if that's the biggest holdup here, like the biggest holdup is... Dana doesn't want to let him box. He wants to box and fight in the UFC. Tobin, should Dana just let him do it? Like, should he say, you know what, I'll let you box? Like, you're under contract here. You have to fight a certain amount of times in the octagon. But if it, if that's what it takes to keep you, which I think is worth it, I'll let you box.
2: I think the thing that's interesting about it is, uh, one, they're both uh, Tyson Fury, the guy he would like, he's been flirting with the most. Uh, and, Fra- and Francis are both essentially guys with TV deals with ESPN so like there definitely could be some kind of a push from the people at Disney saying hey we want this because we don't want to pay Tyson Fury 30 million to box Dillian White we want ESPN <laughs> plus to be we want to be UFC versus boxing the other problem with that though is Dana White hates Bob Aram like poison and so I feel like that'll nuke anything there but I don't know why this isn't the case. Like, if all these guys do want to go box and Dana White has always wanted to get into boxing too, why doesn't he work to go and try and get some? I know that not all these it's tough because some of these guys are all locked up, but a guy like Tyson Fury's not that locked up. He's had a couple fights. It definitely is something he could. I I I don't understand why he wouldn't try and pursue it that way to just only do these freak shows, only do it with the big names. But I think the reason is because Dana doesn't want to pay these gargantuan salaries. He wants to have boxing be in a model very much like the UFC where he's paying all these guys, you know, more sensible salaries so he could have probably more stacked cards. And it's just, you know, boxing is the Wild West. It doesn't work like that.
1: Hey, guys, didn't we learn anything from Rocky Three? I mean, there's another element here. You know, you had Thunderlips take on Rocky Balboa. You Classic. have the most feared heavyweight wrestler taking on the heavyweight boxer. Somebody's going to lose cachet in that fight. And I think that's one of the if I'm Dana White, I don't want it because I agree with Brendan and, and, and you, Alex. I, I don't want to, you know, Engano's going to lose badly to almost any boxer of any worth that he faces. In my opinion, he's not even the best striker in his own league and
0: that's not boxing. Do, do, you so, think, do you think he beats both Paul brothers? I, I know they're giving up some size, but do you, do you, do you think uh, – what if he boxes Jake Paul that <coughs> in that one?
1: Alex, with you, with Dean Thomas for six weeks, you're beating Jake Paul. I mean, I'm just saying <laughs> right there.
0: Logan Paul, maybe. I don't know, man. I, I, give, I give Jake Paul some credit. Like, he's you know, he's not world class, but he's, he's above novice boxing, uh, whereas Bre- Logan Paul sucks.
1: Brendan, I don't know what's going on with John Jones. He gained a ton of weight. And still not doing anything. It's it's very mysterious. The only thing we ever hear about him is him hitting people he shouldn't be hitting. Right. Or getting into trouble he shouldn't <laughs> be getting into. So, is John Jones the, the card here for Ngano getting paid
2: by the UFC? Because they can't not want that fight. I mean, I would say, I would think that's the way they would go. But Francis kind of talked about this after the fight. Is like, I wanted that fight a year ago and they didn't do it like why now now that now you think that's going to be the card that lures me and i don't i don't know if it is going to be good enough i know as a fan that's probably the number one fight i want to see i I think i i'm having a tough one that like comes to mind in mixed martial arts right away that i'm like i definitely if i if i if i can only spend my 80 on one pay-per-view main event i i think that's it even a conor mcgregor uh return like i don't an Nate Diaz trilogy, a Dustin Poirier fourth fight, uh, maybe Conor fighting for the belt again would would uh would would tickle my fancy a little bit more. But yeah, I, I would hope that that would be the case because as a fan, I'm dying to see that matchup. But I don't know if that's going to be enough to lure Francis. He seems pretty dead. Like here was an interesting thing. Like when the news comes out this week that he's getting surgery. That's a nine month recovery. But he's not getting surgery till March. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he's running the clock out. Yeah, that's – I think that kind of tells you all – like, I think he's done. Well, I think. Yeah. He's well, you, done well,
1: you, well, you don't have a cho- – he's negotiating, guys. So you don't have a choice here. You've got to make sure you play your cards, UFC's playing sure. theirs. Do you guys think that – and and putting yourself in Nganu's position, because I go back and forth on this. John Jones is dominant and awe-inspiring as he's been. If you're Francis Agano, do you feel like he should fight a fight at heavyweight before he gets you? Because I, I, I'm starting to lean pretty heavily that way that he should see somebody before he steps right in to the to the big fight.
0: Now, I don't think so, Brendan, because I think that's too much of a risk. Because one of the fights that's been out there as a possibility for John Jones for his heavyweight debut is Stipe. I could see him losing to a guy like Stipe. Like, you're fighting heavyweight for the first time. Stipe, one of the greatest heavyweights ever. And and then if Jones loses, then there's nothing, you know, then the Nganu fight loses a ton of draw. Like, okay, he lost to Stipe. Do you want to have Jones versus Nganou? I think just for the sake of marketing, that's got to be Jones's first heavyweight fight. He's got to go right into the deep end of the pool.
2: Yeah, it definitely is a risk. But I think the thing that's interesting, too, is, you know, for years, it, it's kind of interesting how this kind of comes full circle, but for years it was how much did uh, did John hold it over Daniel Cormier that, you know, you never beat me, you were only the champion when I was gone, suspended. And it would be funny if John – because, like, I would feel like if they're going to do John versus Dipe, what they'll probably do is make it for the interim title. Mm. And it would be kind of funny if John ended up kind of winning the championship that way. But never really beat the guy. If Francis doesn't ever come back to the UFC, that would yeah, be kind true. of interesting. True. That it would be uh, that he would be on both sides of that situation as a as an interim champion. But yeah, I I think that his first fight, if it's not gonna be against Francis, it will be for some some belt. Um, I'd be into him versus Stepe. Don't get me wrong, uh, I I like that fight too. Uh, I do think it's risky, but I just think that the UFC is gonna. End up saying that this Francis thing's not going to get done, and we're going to, we're getting John back, and we're going to kind of roll with that and see what that, you know, maybe John Jones, heavyweight, will be the superstar we were always hoping he would be. Frank, how Fred, about, how about oh, John
0: Jones? No, I was, I was going to ask you, how about John Jones versus Derrick Lewis? That would be no, kind of fun. Oh, man. Come on.
1: You know, this Derrick Lewis thing, I, I hate I to be him. the guy that's down on Derrick Lewis because he's fun guy, everything, but
0: isn't he just today's version of Tank Abbott? He, I mean, you I know have, who is? Uh, I think uh, Chris Barnett, the the fat guy who throws the cartwheel kicks. Have that guy fight John Jones. If he can't beat Chris Barnett, you're, you don't belong in the heavyweight division. The Guys, I, oh sorry.
2: We're no, I'm saying. The it. only reason I have, like, Derek's got my respect. Yeah, he has. He's lost the the championship fights pretty ugly, but they do keep trying to put him in there with those young prospects to 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 uh, you know kind of be that gatekeeper, and he just keeps knocking them out. So. And I, I tell you one thing, like him versus Titu Ibasa coming up in February. Ooh, oh my God, that's good. Hey, you guys are walking to the betting booth with a hundred dollars. John
1: Jones is fighting Stipe. Who are you putting your money on?
0: On Jones versus Stipe, I'm, I think I'm putting my money on Jones. But I, I'd be very—I I think it would be very
2: close. I think the odds would be razor thin for that. I'm, I'm, I'm with—I'm with Alex. I'm still rocking with John. I think you know, the thing I'm also uh, excited about is I'm excited for, I do think that no matter who John Jones's first heavyweight fight is, I do think he's going to be very motivated. And I think that we saw with his second comeback where he was kind of slaying all those contenders that he did once the first time around at 205. I think that when John's motivated and, and focused on something, I don't think there's anybody who's ever been better to do it. Um And I think is also just more entertaining that way too. Like once you started to get into these guys, like the Tiago Santos and Dominic Reyes, like I just think it kind of got to a point. Like what 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 am I doing this for? I I worry about a fight. I'm an Engano fan, so that's why I say worry,
1: right? Because I'm emotionally invested, which is terrible when you're trying to analyze stuff. But you know, Engano versus Jones, after what we just saw, scares me because Jones will stay on the outside. Jones will use reach. Jones will just try to score points, and Jones is a supremely talented wrestler. So Ngannou won't be pulling that stuff they pulled on uh, on Gan, especially now that everybody knows he can do it. Yeah. So I, I, I am uh, – oddly, post-amazing victory for Ngannou, I am more – in the camp of John Jones, should those two meet. Yeah,
0: I agree. And Daniel Cormier said the same thing. That was also his immediate reaction was he, because he before before Francis stepped into the octagon this past Saturday, he was saying he would give Jones basically zero chance against either guy, Ngannou gone or Gone. Then he came out of the fight saying, you know what? Maybe I give Jones a chance now.
2: The only yeah. thing, uh the only thing that I think is the wild card here is. I just I, I think Francis is just a freak with strength. and I think that yes. this is just one of those things where I think the wrestlers can't put their mind around it because they're like, yeah. come on, you know, you're not you're you you know we 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 spent years into this. We have the wrestling wrestlers are very into their credentials, and they can't imagine a guy who doesn't have a grappling background ever being able to out grapple them. but he's a like jo- like in, as he is with a freak with his with his knockout power. The way he just picked up Sir Ogan and just slammed him like a yes, child. Yes. And then just yeah. like even was in bad positions and always just kind of yeah. found his way out of it. Even if it didn't look the prettiest, he's just so strong. And I do wonder how John will handle that. We don't really. John's never not like has he been in there, somebody who's going to be more physically dominant than him. I don't know. I think that's that's the big mystery to me. Even if he has the better credentials, the better talent, the better fundamentals, maybe Francis just outmuscles him. Brendan, I love what
1: you just said, because at the top of the show, I was saying that of all the things I didn't know, and Gano being a half-decent wrestler now, etc., Gano having better cardio now, etc., the one thing that shocked me the most was he's not just strong, he's strong for his size, which is terrifying. Yeah, because, you know, uh, you know, I also didn't realize that surreal Ghan is every bit the size of in Yeah. When they faced off. I mean, I would take Ghan in a bench press contest. I mean, he looked even more muscular and Engano picked him up like he weighed 12 pounds. And that terrified me
2: because and that should
1: terrify other people he's going to face because you're right. He's freakishly strong.
2: It was uh, it was very yeah, it was a very, very noticeable thing out of that one, because, yeah, I think that. He proved a lot of people uh, wrong that his his gas tank was able to go five rounds, and and honestly had to dig deep because you know we I think we all thought that you know he was probably losing, you know down 0-2, um which shows uh, a lot of will as well going and find a way, and also you know mind you did this with with uh, with an injured knee too, it was uh it was very very impressive, so I I do think that he has a shot against John Jones, I really do.
0: Yeah, and, and Brennan brought up that he likely lost the first two rounds. I had, uh, Frank, you know, I'm a baller. I had bet a 50-burger a on Surreal gone. Um, I, I can't remember now what the – it was like minus 135 or something, whatever whatever it was. I bet, a, I bet 50 large on Surreal gone. To win the fight, so after the first two rounds, I'm kicking my feet up. I'm, he can do this all day. He can stand on the outside and pick him apart all day. Francis is gonna get tired. This is easy. I'm already like on Amazon, seeing what I can buy with like the forty-three dollars that I would have gotten for winning that bet, and then and then the wrestling happened. They uh, can't. But- they can't wait to say
1: too in the telecast, Engano's breathing through his mouth. He's tired. Uh-huh, He's no, it's gassed. So annoying. And like,
0: and, uh, and they do the live odds as well now. Now that they fully embrace gambling, they keep popping up the live odds. And again, I'm like, oh, there's no way he can lose. Look at the live odds. I'm good. I got this. The same thing with the with the with the Moreno uh, figueredo fight. I'd bet Brandon Moreno, and then the live odds were were in his favor, then all of a sudden they flipped, and I'm like, oh no. God <laughs> no.
1: Joe Rogan is so roided up, he'd get gassed i chased them around the broadcast table so i'm tired of him telling me that fighters are tired you know one or two rounds in just because they're muscular
2: Uh, it's their favorite thing you're spot on with that like they love it like oh all that muscle it's hard to carry around it's like every fight you know it's like you need you could could check off what's going to be the things mentioned
1: brendan we need stefan struve apparently i mean that's the guy we just need a willowy guy at heavyweight and then he can he can go five rounds all all day absolutely
0: well, guys, make sure you check uh, Brandon out. Brandon Tobin, every morning, 6 to 10 a.m. on 790 The Ticket, alongside Leroy, who we love. I'm a big fan of Leroy as well. And uh, tell us about the new combat sports show, uh, Tapped Out on BetQL, 5 to 7 p.m. You guys just started that recently. What can people find there?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. We've had some fun guests on so far. Our guy Tyron Spong's been uh, been on the show, Rashad mm-hmm. Evans. Uh, we had uh, Calvin Cater on before, so uh, we get some some fun fighters on. And then uh, also, it's just a big slant. Like, if you guys are into the gambling, which it sounds like you guys are, usually it's leading right into the card. We're going over all the props, all the bets. We get a lot of uh, experts on that, a lot of figuring out what the method to go into winning is. And so uh, the way to find us 5 to 7 p.m. Uh, live every Saturday. We are streaming live on uh, on Twitch, twitch.tv slash BetQL. And then uh, if you guys get the Odyssey app, you guys can get us on the BetQL channel there as well. Uh, we put out the podcast as well, but it's, uh, you know, on, on Big Fight Nights, it's always good to tune in live and check that on out. So appreciate you guys having me.
1: Brendan, nobody scares me more than
0: Tyrone Spong.
2: Oh, yeah. my God.
0: dude! What I can't this? believe uh, – and, and I, I I couldn't go to the other press event they had today. I'm not sure, Brendan. I think Brendan was there, even if he wasn't. But I was there yesterday, and I invited Frank. I mean, dude, Tyrone Spong's such a nice guy. Had a little con- – he yep. and Rashad Evans, they're two of the nicest people, man. They're really down to earth. Uh, and, and Frank, you you missed it because you luck. because the other time, Frank, when you and I saw Tyrone Spong in person, it was years ago while he was training. So he was busy like destroying people at the Black Zillions I got, gym. I, I
1: got well. I gotta tell Brendan quickly. We were at uh, what was now the defunct Black Zillions gym, right, Alex? Mm-hmm. And Tyrone Spong goes out to practice some kicks. A guy puts on the whole kicking suit, and it's not just some guy off the street. It's a coach, okay? Yeah. He's was used Henry Hoop. to doing this. It was Henry Hoop. Tyrone Spong <laughs> hits him with the first one. He would have thought there was an explosion, <laughs> the sound that went off. <laughs> the next one hits, and the guy says, that's it. Takes off the suit. He's out. <laughs> Two kicks and a, and a <laughs> professional MMA coach in a full suit for kicking. I'm out of here. I can't do it.
2: Yeah, well, that punching record that they measure with Francis, like Tyrone had the record before Francis broke it. The dude, it's yeah. hard. He really hits hard. so hard. I'm excited to see him back, and and like Doc said, super sweetheart. So is Rashad. Uh, you know Ray Borg's on the card. Yeah, it's a, I'm, yeah, you know, for for a free Friday night, uh, fight. I'm 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 in. I'm gonna check yeah. it out. And and that, and I appreciate
0: it, Brendan. We'll talk to you again soon, my friend. Have a great show Saturday and a great show tomorrow morning as well. See you guys. Yeah, you know, and Frank, I'm I'm glad I'm glad he brought that up. Like I'm I'm starting to to fanboy out a little bit to Eagle FC because here's something that they're doing that I love, okay? They stream their fights for free. <coughs> okay? In a world where the UFC is gouging their loyal fans like you and me. Thank God you and I know and all of our viewers know about the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill where they can watch every fight for no cover charge. But for the at-home consumers, ESPN Plus and the UFC are now gouging you for seventy-five bucks a pop for the pay-per-views. Even when you watch the the free events, they're not really free because you have to have the ESPN Plus subscription. And I use it for other things, but a lot of people only use it for the UFC, so you're you're paying for that as well. It's like six seven bucks a month. Uh, Eagle FC, you know, all you have to do is you download a free app. I think it's the um, they're not paying me so if, if i butcher the name of their app it doesn't really matter they're not a sponsor but it's like the 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 fixall the the flexall app or something like fxl see already no one's going to know where to download this cuz you download a free app and yeah they're probably going to spam your email and stuff but you are watching free mma i get to watch tyrone spong against sergey karitonov tomorrow for free and rashad evans uh, against uh, gabriel chechi Bet- Ch- 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 for free tomorrow night. So that's something, man. They're not gouging me.
1: Well, you know, it's an interesting model, right? It's, it's you know, the way football and baseball and basketball work, where you make your money on the endorsements that you sell to the audience that you're going to get, which presumably will be bigger because nobody has to pay anything to access it. And they happen to have a couple of guys that can move the needle. Rashad yeah. Evans can move the needle. And then Tyrone Spong, I think less so, but still significant, you know, uh, a, a significant star. When's Ty- Is Tyron Spawn going to end up in the UFC at some point? Is this a stepping stone for him?
0: Uh, you know, honestly... I want to see Tyrone Spong primarily in kickboxing because I, I, think, I think that's truly what he is best at. And obviously that, that's where he started his pro fighting career and then he took an MMA detour and a boxing detour and he had a successful record in boxing. But to me, it's like um, there, there, are, there are certain people over the years like, uh, like uh, Badr Hari, who's my favorite kickboxer of all time, The guy was a fucking murderer in the kickboxing ring and he like he was courted by MMA promotions. The UFC probably would have loved to him to make the transition because this guy, his kicks, they would put your head into the 17th row. Like he was so incredible. He was never interested. You thought, you know, I'm a kickboxer. I'm not, I'm not an MMA fighter. I don't feel like training wrestling and jujitsu. I'm a kick. And, And with Tyrone Spong, he's had success in other disciplines, but to me, that is when he is in his element. And you talked about his kicks, right? Which also does translate to MMA. But you know his brutal kicks and his brutal knockout power. That's what makes that guy special. He's one of the one of the more entertaining kickboxers I've watched. I want to see that guy more in the glory ring and, and various kickboxing promotions uh, than MMA. But uh, I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him fight in the UFC. You ready for the toss up, bro? Let's do it. All right.
1: Drum roll. Uh, are there any opponents outside the UFC like see Francis and Ganu fight? Which is apropos, based on you know I think everyone's opinion that he may not return to the octagon.
0: Yeah. So um, the short answer is no. The long answer is I actually pulled up a list of the top MMA heavyweights, UFC, and otherwise. The division is even thinner outside the UFC than I thought it was, Frank. Like, there's – honestly, we've already established I don't care to watch him box. I I respect the fact that it's a dream of his. So, like, I to a certain extent, I want him to be happy, but I don't have to watch it, right? Because I I, I don't think that Francis Ngannou is going to have success against the better boxing heavyweights in the world. Tyson Fury is going to embarrass him, okay? I think even Andy Ruiz probably embarrasses him. So, I'm not interested in watching – Francis Ngannou box so let's say there's a scenario where he does want to keep fighting MMA and finds another promotion that would let him box and also fight him I'm sure any other promotion would be eager to do that so Frank I'm going to go through here the top 50 heavyweights in the world obviously Francis all 50 one uh I'm going to go through like the first 20 of them okay? okay Okay. And, and tell me how many of these guys outside the UFC would interest you. You got Stipe Miocic, who he's in the UFC, beat him, lost to him. Uh, Cyril Gahn just beat Derek Lewis in the UFC, Curtis Blades in the UFC, Alexander Volkov in the UFC, Jairzinho Rosenstrike in the UFC, Alistair Overeem, free agent. Like uh, he's already beaten Overeem in the UFC. So yeah, I'm not interested in that. Uh, Valentin Moldovsky from Bellator. Okay, that's one fight. Oh, I guess. Okay. Uh, Ty Tuivasa in the UFC, Chris Dawkins in the UFC, Martian Tybura in the UFC, Tom Aspinall UFC, Fedor Melianenko. You know, I love Fedor. I don't want Fedor to die young. I I do not want Fedor's wife to be a widow. So I, that's a marketable fight. I mean, if if Francis were, if Francis were to leave the UFC and, and Fedor, if if Fedor was interested in fighting Francis, they might do it. I, I love Fedor. I don't want Fedor to put his body through that kind of punishment. But I guess that's a fight. Uh Junior Dos Santos, free agent, uh Vitali Minikov, Bellator, Timothy Johnson, Bellator, and the, the, these don't you the list goes on and I hey, Congo. Is uh Anthony Rumble Johnson still active? Uh yes. I believe he I believe he returned. So okay. That, that, that's, that, that's
1: one that's one for me. You know, you've got devastating striker versus devastating striker. You know, okay. I'd like no, to okay. see that one. But
0: you're talking about like two or three fights, and most of them are, are kind of gimmicky, right? I mean, out, outside of the UFC, the heavyweight division is a ghost town.
1: Well, there's nowhere for him to go MMA-wise outside of the UFC, I think is the point you're making. The only place he goes outside of the UFC is boxing, which I think we both agree, and most analysts and experts agree, would end badly for him, unless he took – you know, a journeyman fight and trying to build a boxing record the way boxers do, except that he's 35 going on 36 years old. He's gonna miss most of his 35th year recovering from knee surgery. Yeah. So, really, for him, what he needs to set himself up for is a continued run in the in the in the UFC with a renegotiated contract, yeah. which I think he will get. He won't get all the money he wants, but he'll get a hell of a lot more, and then set himself up for a sunset, big-time boxing payday. I think that's the best scenario that Francis Ngannou can hope for. And I think it's the best scenario for the UFC, too, because when Ngannou does take that sunset boxing monster payday and gets beaten and doesn't look good, it doesn't reflect badly on the UFC because he's kind of retired from MMA. He's
0: working his way out, and hopefully new talent has emerged. But do you agree with Alex M, Francis versus Fedor, money fight? The thing is, like, I, I just – I don't see – and okay, 20 years ago, yeah, but in, in in the year of our Lord, 2022, I just don't see how Fedor Melianenko can beat Francis Ngannou. And I love Fedor, but it's like it's, – he's Fedor's going to get killed? Nothing uh, – you know,
1: look, I know Fedor was a tremendous heavyweight fighter, but nothing makes Fedor look like the 205-er he always should have been than him getting in the octagon with Francis Ngannou. Yeah. A well-rounded, devastatingly strong,
0: true heavyweight fighter. Yeah, no, uh, Fedor's way past his prime. As, what what you know. about Ngannou, Tyrone Spong? I mean, Spong is fighting in heavyweight now. Well, I think Spong is like a superhero. For those watching or
1: listening that don't remember, Tyrone Spong was at the Black Zillion Gym during the American Top Team versus Black Zillions Ultimate Fighter Series. That was really excellent. Alex and I got to go to one or two of the events. Yeah, we snuck in. And they would they would move them back and forth between the gyms. And one of the events happened at the Black Zillion Gym and the American top team fighter was overweight and decided to use the sauna that they had at the Black Zillion Gym, because they were not lacking for any amenities at the Black Zillion Gym. So not just the fighter went in, all, like, 12 American top team fighters that accompanied him went in. Conan, the coach, went in. There's a whole contingent of American top team badasses in the sauna. And Tyrone Spong just suddenly thought, this is inappropriate. They shouldn't be in there. And he went in and single-handedly demanded that they leave. And let me tell you something. Great. Wasn't worried about mixing it up with nope. 12, 14 guys at the same time. <laughs> I will never forget that incident and I will I, it will forever make me terrified of that man because he stood up and eyeballed what? 14 American top team killers? And he I was, was not to,
0: afraid whatsoever.
1: Ready was to throw down you know? in a sauna. Terrified. <laughs> terrified.
0: And, and Alex M is right, by the way. Black Zillions are trying to make a comeback. Uh, Rashad Evans is leading that charge. You know Now he's back fighting again. He's about to make his return from – we'll talk about that in a second, by the way. But he's about to make his return from three and a half years away. And, yeah, he wants to bring the <laughs> band back together. You, you, give me the next uh, toss-up. Could Jake Paul be the guy to finally launch a successful
1: union for UFC fighters?
0: That's the latest thing, Jake Paul. And Jake Paul keeps talking about how – I, I care about their fighters. I, I want I want these guys to be properly compensated. I want them to be happy. This guy is a wolf in sheep's clothing. I I don't I don't trust Jake Paul. Um, he he loves pushing Dana White's buttons. He and Dana White have had a very public war of words, and. I think Jake is primarily trolling. Like, I think Jake, everything that that man does is about clicks and impressions, right? And you can get a lot of clicks and impressions when you're constantly trolling Dana White and Dana White responds. Dana White takes the bait. And so the latest way Jake Paul has figured out a new way to push Dana White's buttons is basically trying to lose Dana White's money, right? When you talk about, I'm going to get these guys to unionize, he... And, and listen, may, maybe in an indirect way, you can applaud Jake Paul for this because there's probably a lot of people who didn't even realize how much less money most high-level MMA fighters are making versus high-level boxers until Jake Paul brought it into the public, right? Because, you know, you and me, Frank, we know these numbers because it's kind of our job to look at it. A lot of the casual fans probably had no idea. Like, oh, my God, Francis Ngannou made 600 k to defend the UFC. And and that's before all the other stuff that comes with it, like bonuses and sponsorships and stuff. But that's still an extremely low fight purse for a guy fighting at that level. And Jake Paul's bringing this a lot out in public. But, no, to me – His primary motivation is not trying to help these UFC fighters. He's trying to press Dana White's buttons, and it's working. Jake Paul's role
1: with UFC fighters is not unionizing them. He's basically providing a retirement scenario for them, right? Yeah. When you're done, when you're used up, when you're least dangerous— Come box me and I'll give you a few million bucks. That's his benefit to UFC fighters that he finds interesting and that are close to his weight. But in terms of unionizing, no, I mean, I don't I I can't picture Jake Paul getting a meeting with some of the bigger stars in the UFC to have a conversation about all of them hijacking their income for some extended period of time in an effort to try to negotiate with the UFC. So, no, I think that's silly. Do you think coming out of retirement is a good idea for Rashad Evans?
0: We're going to find out. By midnight tomorrow night. Um, the thing the thing with Rashad, I lean to no. Uh, lost his final five UFC fights and looked incredibly washed doing it, Frank. I mean, maybe not quite as washed as BJ Penn looked at the end, but looked incredibly washed late in his UFC career. I, I will say one thing. Um, you know... If you're going to make a comeback, probably better to do it in Eagle FC than in the UFC because there's really nobody, at least in the top 15 of the UFC's light heavyweight division, that he should be fighting at this point in his life because he's not the same guy that he was seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years ago. Um, can he maybe beat uh, Gabriel Checo, his opponent, who you know has a positive record, but he's never fought in the big leagues? I mean, a, a, a really strong... Brazilian uh, jiu-jitsu fighter, but, you know, a pedestrian record, and he's not fought the type of competition Rashad has fought. So, yeah, Rashad Evans may win tomorrow night. I hope he doesn't get hurt doing it, Um, but I I, I don't know, man. I mean, if if, if he – maybe we'll find out tomorrow if Rashad Evans, who's been out of the game for three and a half years, maybe he's capable of beating lower-level fighters. He's obviously not capable of beating high-level fighters right now, but I – I lean to, you know, you retired for a reason and you've been out of the game for nearly four years. Maybe you should have stayed out of the game.
1: Yeah, this is one of those incidents that makes me sad. You know, fighters that don't know when to say when. And what makes me particularly sad about Rashad Evans is that, uh, and look, uh, I know – you know, show friend and personal friend of both of ours, Dean Thomas. I'm not going to say that Rashad Evans would be a better coach than Dean Thomas, but Rashad Evans would be an exceptional coach. He was moving in that direction with the first rendition of the Black Zillions. And I really feel like he's intellectually capable. I feel like he's the kind of guy who relates to the fighters. I've been there. I can help you get there. He's well-rounded. I feel like the next step in his career, if he was really thinking it through, would be to be part of an emerging gym and be offering his coaching services. I think he could be, I, I've always felt since his, you know, since his slide that he would be exceptional in that role. You know, as a fighter, especially. It's like, you know, I know it's not the same because when Jordan left the Bulls, he was still in the NBA when he went to Washington. But it kind of feels like going to Washington. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. really, you're going to go to Eagle FC and fight a guy who's not really a guy? Like, Mm -hmm. what are you proving in that regard? You know, you've lost it. I'm sure we can find somebody you can beat. Fedor keeps looking for them and finding them. So I know that if you want to continue, you could probably do it. But to what end and for what benefit? You know, share your knowledge and your skill and your acumen with other fighters. I mean, I really feel like that's the gift that he could give, and there's there's money to be made in that regard.
0: Real quick, before we wrap it up, I yeah. I, I feel like we we have to spend a minute or two on this, otherwise the title of this episode will be will be an all-out lie, <laughs> and I don't want because <laughs> we we've had so many good conversations <laughs> in this one. But uh, the UFC has made it official for UFC 274 in May uh we had a feeling this would be the next fight but charles oliveira will defend his lightweight title against justin Gaethje. uh oliveira has opened up as a minus 155 betting favorite Gaethje, the underdog at plus 135 um i i don't i don't think i'm going to bet against charles oliveira again like i did against dustin Pori. i might sit this one out frank completely because um You know, we've talked about it with James so many times on this show. Just how, just how deceptively all around good Justin Gaethje is. Everyone knows he can strap, scrap, but over the last couple of years, he's become such a more well-rounded, higher IQ fighter, and he still has the dangerous hands and the dangerous pace and pressure that he can put on. So I'm not going to count out Justin Gaethje. I think the odds are about right. I think Charles Oliveira deserves to be a slight favorite in this fight because a lot of people didn't think he was capable of doing what he did to Dustin Poirier. But, I mean, if you put a gun to my head, Frank, I think I'm going to pick Charles Oliveira. I probably, and we got a long way to go. By May, I'll probably figure some angle out. But if you ask me today, I probably won't bet a win. I may find a prop or two. I probably won't bet a winner for this fight, but I would lean to Oliveira. What about you? I'm I'm in on Gaethje all the way. Hmm. Earlier in the
1: show, I talked about the IQ evolution of Francis Ngannou. Gaethje's already gone through that. What he did to Tony Ferguson, the way he handled Michael Chandler. Not, you know, while it was a slugfest, he didn't do his typical Gaethje thing where just run in when he hurt Chandler and just chase him down and go berserker. He's measured now. He knows he has a powerful wrestling base and he knows that if he, you know, if he if he uses his head, that he can outclass people, because when you can dictate where a fight goes that's a huge deal. So, uh, you know, I think Justin Gagey is an unstoppable force right now in the lightweight division until our boy, uh, Khabib Mahachev. Oh, Islam uh, gets Mahachev. Up there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, thought gonna,
0: I thought you were going to say till Khabib comes back, but no, no Islam, I mean, Islam Mahachev will be the next best thing.
1: But I'll tell you, I'll tell you something since you brought up Khabib, it's terrifying to think about just where his skill level had gotten and just how good he is that he outclassed guys like Justin Gaethje that yeah. dramatically, because mm-hmm. Justin Gaethje, I believe is going to handle Oliveira and be a reigning champ for a while until they let the, uh, the next Dagestani after him. <laughs>
0: well said, man. And uh, I want to remind everybody to please support our awesome title sponsor here on five rounds. And that is the quarter deck seafood bar and neighborhood grill. Guys, the quarter deck, they've got two for one drinks all day, every day. I take advantage of that. The two for one margaritas are always flowing at the quarter deck when I am out there. It is an awesome place to watch every UFC fight. We talk a lot on this show about how they keep jacking up the prices for the home consumer for the pay per views. So the UFC, within like the last 12 months, have gone from 65 to 70 to 75 for the pay per view price. The quarterdeck has taken their cover charge from zero to zero to zero. There is no cover charge to watch a UFC pay-per-view at the quarterdeck. How great is that, my friends? Enjoy the delicious food while you're out there. I love the seafood. Every now and then I talk to people who are like, I don't eat fish. How do you live in South Florida? You don't eat seafood. But you know what? That's fine because they have so many things you can enjoy at the quarterdeck. The All-American Burger is freaking delicious. The French dip sandwich, the jerk chicken sandwich, which is one of the newer items on the menu, is awesome. The chicken wings are great, guys. I tried the teriyaki wings for the first time a couple of months back, and then I tried them a second time because they were so good. The dessert is awesome. The key lime cheesecake. The beer is always cold at the quarterdeck. Go out there this weekend, guys. You can. Uh, there's no UFC fight this weekend. They come back February 5th, but... Yeah, we have a couple of important American football games being played on Sunday, AFC and NFC Championship games. You can catch all of it at the Quarterdeck. If you want to find the location nearest to you, visit them on the web at quarterdeckrestaurants.com. You can also find their menu out there. I love to peruse the menu and – I like to decide what I'm going to have before I get there, and then when I get there, I change my mind a couple times because there are so many great options. But check them out on the web, quarterdeckrestaurants.com. The quarterdeck, come for the food, stay for the fun. Frank Zaffrey, enjoy your weekend. Uh, You know no UFC this weekend, but we do have Eagle FC and Bellator, so enjoy all the fights, sir. You as well, my friend. Go Tyrone Spong. I love Tyrone Spong, but I'm also—I got to admit—I—I am—I I love Russians. I'm a big Sergey Haritanov fan as well. I think—I think, I think Spang is gonna is gonna starch him, but I am a because Sergey Haritanov, This guy goes back to Pride. Listen, my friend, I Sergey Sergey I, I go in, you know, maybe I fight, maybe I throw a couple punch, throw a couple kick, I put this guy on his ass. We win fight, beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, fight Alex, out there. Alex, I wouldn't fight Spong unless
1: in pre-fight negotiations he agreed not to kick me.
0: Yeah, that's probably fair. <laughs> so good good luck to Sergey Heratonov, but mainly good luck to Tyrone Spong who probably will not need it. And good luck to Rashad Evans. Like I uh, I I hope we don't see one of those like sad performances like man, you should have stayed retired. I I hope that Rashad can do something special against gabriel Checo because if you can't beat gabriel Checo, you probably have no business being back in the cage period so yeah huge shout out to everybody who joined us live and uh and whether whether you were with us live or you watch us later on tape delay doesn't matter hit the like button please smash the like button if you enjoy the content smash the like button even if you don't Pity us, okay. Even if you hated the content, smash the like button. It works the algorithm, and tell your friends. We do this each and every Thursday, five rounds on the Five reason Sports Network. We'll see you guys next time. Oh wait, hold on, hold on. I've got a. Here we go. End broadcast. We'll talk to you guys next Thursday on the Five.